0: we're talking about something completely different that I guarantee most of you in the audience have not heard about before. My guest today is David Hammer. He's the founder and CEO of a company called Emissary.io, I guess. Is that the, you do the full yep. .io? It's Emissary.io. Yep. And based here in New York City, uh, not too far from where I'm sitting today. And actually, I think we probably pass each other in the streets when we go to the grocery <laughs> store. Um, so, David, welcome to Accelerate.
1: Uh, thanks, Andy. It's it's uh, a lot of fun to be here. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, so me too. So I mean, because again, what you guys are doing is so differentiated, and it's I'm excited to have people hear about this. So take a minute, may just quickly introduce yourself. You know, sort how you got to this point where you are today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my background is actually not in the world of sales. Uh, I come out of a product management I was a product manager at Google for about six years um, and worked on a whole bunch of products there. Uh, definitely had to do a whole bunch of selling in my in my job there. Um, I spent a bunch of time on the uh, techno- adver- advertising technology side, so I helped create a product called DoubleClick Bid Manager which most people have never heard of, but is, I think, the third biggest revenue driver for the company
0: now. Yeah, I was going to say, that, that is Google in a heartbeat right there.
1: Yep. Um, and you know, when I quit, I, I really became you know I, I went to Google in the first place because I cared about problems of knowledge, and, and so I actually looked back at my time at Google and I said, where at Google were we making bad decisions? Were we not, you know, doing the right thing? Where we and where there was a knowledge problem, right? We you know we have, Google controls a little box that everyone in the universe types their wants into. Google should know everything, but but we didn't. Mm-hmm. And in particular, you know, I was thinking about how you know, we'd lose deals because we didn't really understand what the customer was really buying, uh, or you know, we wouldn't really understand for our product offering exactly what the right context was and how painful it was to get those relationships and get that kind of access. And, and so I became convinced that there's all this valuable knowledge that was walking around locked up in people's heads um, and knowledge that they just got from working in various places, organizational knowledge that was not going to use. Um, and so, Emissary was a platform that's fundamentally built to unlock that and offer that value to sales organizations. So, what we realized was that what everyday people kind of acquire from their day to day working environments, that knowledge is incredibly valuable to sales organizations who are looking to get that kind of insight to help close deals. Um, and so, we created Emissary to do that.
0: Okay. So, let's just describe how Emissary works because uh, I think, you know, you sort of touched on a little bit, but let's, let's. Lay it out for people. So, you know, it's very unique. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, yeah,
1: we, we get that a lot. Yeah. Uh, you and, know, I'd, I'd say, I'd say, you know, the most common thing we hear is I have never heard of an offering like that, but it makes a ton of sense.
0: Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I would describe it, and I'll start, and then you correct yeah. me if I get it wrong, is that, yeah, you talk about these people walking around with this knowledge in their heads. They, they work at some level, hopefully senior positions and certain companies that your enterprises you're trying to sell to. When they leave, What you want to do is say, "How can I tap into that knowledge in order to help me sell back into that company that they worked for?"
1: Mm -hmm. That's right. And so, what we've built is a platform, a marketplace, right? Um, You know, think like I sometimes joke—it's Airbnb for brains, right? So we've had uh, we've uh, screened about uh, over five thousand people so far onto the platform, and that's growing by about. 300 every week, right now, uh, of these folks uh, who come onto this platform and say, Yeah, you know, I know a lot about John Deere or, you know, or LVMH or whoever it yeah, is. Yeah, let's and just I say about I used to work processes. at IBM, let's say. Right. You were used to work at IBM. You know, maybe you were seen, you know, really involved in the IT decision making processes. So you'll speak to one of our recruiters and you'll come on board. Um, and then what's going to happen is when a, a sales, a sales organization comes to us, um, we're going to kind of work, look, take a look at their pipeline. Um, and let's say you're sell- you know, some, let's say, uh, we've got a client who's selling to IBM into the right department. Um, so you guys are going to get matched together. Um, so you're basically you're going to get matched to the opportunity, uh, and uh, you'll basically be able to kind of do account level sales. You'll be able to get account level sales coaching on that deal uh, from this emissary, from this person who knows that organization inside and out. So again, the first step is you come to us. You work, you know, we we kind of collaborate with you. You know, we actually have a. a offering that syncs with your CRM system to make sure that you're able to easily kind of uh, connect your pipeline to our system. Uh, And then what we're providing is a matchmaking system. So every time uh, you you have a new qualified opportunity, we're offering you an emissary who's saying, hey, I know the people you're talking to. I know the culture. I know all the subtle, unwritten stuff. I know that Bob, who you're talking to, calls himself the decision maker, but Jane, who's going to sit two seats to his right and is never going to say a word in any meeting, that actually carries all the sway. Um, That engineering is a major, important group, and they actually hold all the decision-making cards. But uh, you know you're never going to see them, but you got to win them over. Um, All of that again, subtle, unwritten stuff that uh, just doesn't really exist anywhere else. um, And the emissaries kind of help share that knowledge and move the deal forward.
0: Okay, so I mean, let's take a step back and just so make sure people understand this. So when your clients are sales organizations, companies, and so first step is when they come in and they look and they say, okay, you know, we sell to these enterprise type accounts, and Mm -hmm. wow, you've got emissaries you said five thousand growing at three three hundred a week. Yep. Um so when they sign on what they do then is they they connect their CRM systems, let's say Salesforce, yep, to your system. That's so right. so you have insight into their pipeline. And Mm -hmm. through your marketplace, you're matching it to your available emissaries. Is it based on some sort of tagging or account name? Or how's that matching done?
1: Yeah, we have a a bunch of techniques. I think the big thing for us is we will never make a match that we can't stand behind. Uh, So uh, for us, that means every emissary who we're going to match you to had former direct decision-making experience in the department that you're going after. Um, And they've actually uh, usually been briefed about the specific opportunity we're matching them to. And they've affirmatively said, yes, I can help Move this deal forward,
0: and you, um, so you get that that uh, affirmative response from the emissary before you reach out and contact the sales organization.
1: That's right. Before we'll make, before we'll present you with an emissary, we're gonna we want to be confident that they're going to be able to be valuable to the deal.
0: So you have let's say somebody on your team who's has client responsibility, and so the prospective matches are being presented to them first. That's correct. And then they go and they check. Okay, we've got the emissaries. We'll verify with the emissaries. They can do that. And then how do they present those matches then to your your clients?
1: Yep. So again, that's all part of the platform. That's all part of the the product. Right? Is you know, you your the sales management uh, or the individual reps will basically receive these candidate matches. You'll be able to review them, accept them, reject them. Um, and uh, you know, again, it's all part of the kind of uh, platform, the ability to receive these matches and be able to kind of get started when you want.
0: So how do you pay for it?
1: Ah, so, uh, 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 aha. So, uh, so emissaries are getting compensated for their help, right? People are doing this because. Uh, certainly because they're cutting compensated, although what we've learned is that they're also doing it because they want to help, because it's fun, it's enjoyable, they get to kind of be along for the ride. Um, and that's actually been a big uh, a big surprise and a big learning for us, is that this ends up really being a fun process for everyone who's involved to kind of be able to do this kind of thing. Um, the way it works is that uh, when you work, work with us, you can kind of buy a package of credits. Um, and what credits basically let you do is you you assign emissaries to opportunities. Um, so uh, an emissary, we really like to see emissaries kind of work throughout the role. Relationship of the deal—it's not just a single phone call. It's really you have access to them on an ongoing basis, weekly check-ins to really make sure that they're continuously driving the deal forward. And for every month that you're uh, that you're uh, working with an emissary, it's a credit.
0: Well, and so interesting use of the phrase—you know, you talk about the emissary driving the deal forward. So, yes, (laughs) what what really becomes the dynamic in the deal in the in the relationship between? Let's say you're an account exec and you're working on a you know, major account, you know, we'll call it IBM just because we've been using that example, and you've got an emissary that's going to help you on that. I mean, the account exec's still the lead. What, what do they expect to happen from the part of the emissary? And how, how do they check in? How do they set the plan? All those things. Yeah. So there's
1: two really interesting things to bring up here, right? Um, you know, the first thing just to emphasize, and I think you're kind of hinting at this a little bit, is uh, emissaries. Are not meant to, they're not, they're not meant to replace your sales organization, right? They're not gonna do the selling for you, right? They're providing intelligence, they're providing coaching, they're providing support. Um ultimately we're big believers that kind of these kinds of labor marketplaces augment and accelerate your salespeople. They make them, you know, in order to imagine more effective because they don't have to spend time hunting things down. But ultimately, it is yeah. still your sellers whose job it is to do the selling. Um, but that said, you know, one of I think, the most interesting things for us is you know in the classic enterprise. Price sale. One of the biggest problems that everyone's familiar with is the blind spot, right? The thing I didn't know to ask about, mm-hmm. um, but if I only I had known, it would have changed everything. Um, and the way that clients and emissaries work together is when a em- relationship kicks off, the first thing that the emissaries be done is they're briefed on what. The clients' goals are, uh, and we encourage the emissaries to kind of be creative in terms of helping clients re- achieve those goals. Um, so you know the, they're actually able to not just say they're not just saying, okay, well, uh, you know, tell me when you've got a meeting and I'll help you prep for it. But there we actually have emissaries who say, oh, you're completely moving in the wrong direction. This is going to be your, you know, this is going to be a dead end. Let me redirect you, mm-hmm. uh, or hey, you're not up to this yet. But when procurement comes around, uh, you know, just really be careful uh, that you're not talking to this person about it because they're gonna slow you down make sure you get away from them um, really that kind of the ability to kind of empower the emissary with the goal and have them pull as much as the client is pushing uh, is really critical it really is a give and take and it's cool to see
0: so the emissaries could be doing a direct outreach to their former employer
1: yeah so it's a it's a good question uh, we I like to say explicitly we're not Uh, in the business of selling introductions. I think that's not a sustainable business. I'd say emissaries are empowered to if they think it's something that they would stand behind, if it's something that they feel they're comfortable doing. Um, But they're never obligated to. I would say uh, statistically, we've seen roughly 30 to 40 percent of emissaries kind of uh, make an introduction or reach out to somebody, put in a good word. Mm -hmm. uh, But ultimately, influence is something you have to earn, not buy. Mm -hmm. uh, And that's something that, uh, that, that we continue to believe at this company.
0: Okay. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I I think that's, um, yeah, once people leave an organization, their influence wanes anyway, right? So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so
1: it's it's worth it's worth noting on that front, actually. Uh, so w- again, one of the reasons we recruit emissaries manually and we screen them manually is all emissaries are uh, left their organizations from the past two years. We do optimize for recency of knowledge uh, for the exact reason you just said, which is as people leave, organizations change, cultures change, uh, decision makers change, and so uh, you know one of the things we're able to commit to is always making sure that the people you're talking to kind of have real, fresh knowledge.
0: Yeah, so I mean, the interesting point then, so then you're going to have some churn in your base of emissaries, because there is a half-life is what you're saying.
1: That's correct, um, and that's something that we've kind of accounted for in our model, right? So uh, we have a constantly growing and changing uh, base of emissaries. We've had people come out and come back in for a second company, uh, you know, as, you know, in many industries, life cycles can be short. Mm-hmm. Um uh, but yes, we're we're kind of always making sure that we have uh, kind of the right people uh, on board for this.
0: Okay. All right, so yeah, got, yeah we've covered a lot in a short, short period of time <laughs> here. <laughs> Before just make sure people you know unpack this to think, okay, I mean I think about my days and selling to major accounts around the world is, yeah, there would have been times when it would have been really useful. So yeah, I remember back in in my days, uh, one deal in particular, I I could have used an emissary where we were competing for a piece of business with a major broadcast network. Big deal. Multi-million dollar deal. And we thought we were talking to all the right people. We had all the right signs, all the right commitments. I mean, there wasn't anybody we weren't talking to. Didn't think we had buy-in. Yeah, we lost the deal at the last minute to the incumbent. Or not at the last minute. At the last minute, we found out we lost to the incumbent. And they were just using us as a stocking horse to get a better price. If we had an emissary that knew those people, he could have pointed out that yeah, you guys are being played. And they, these guys, were the best at playing us. I mean, I'd never been played like that before. (laughs) Um, And yeah, everybody in our whole organization was fooled by this. Um, Yeah, that that emissary would have been perfect for that situation.
1: One of the things that I like to say when I'm talking to clients is, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask is, you know, if you've ever won a deal because you got lucky, right? If you've ever, you you know, everyone's got one amazing story about, you know, running into decision makers, you know, brother in a bar a week before and said, oh, you know, make sure that you talk about this and this and, you know, ultimately those kinds of moments that can be transformative for a deal, and you know the question is, how do you manufacture that luck? How do you make that luck more predictable? Uh, how do you kind of create those moments that really allow you that kind of uncommon, that unknown piece of insight uh, that can be very transformative? Uh, and we view uh, you know emissaries as a as a way to you know, to load the dice, as to as a way to to kind of change your luck, basically. And that's that's really critical for us.
0: Yeah, I mean. It, the- well, you're, if, if you're in major account sales, you're an entrepreneur, you sell to enterprises or sales organization, just, just think about this for a second. This is the thing that, you know, for me is so exciting because I, I look back on the days when I was selling multi million dollar deals to large companies. How just incredibly useful it would have been to have somebody with, as you said, some insights into how decisions are made. Who are the influencers that really make a difference? You know, we, you know, challenger people at CEB talk about, you know, 6.8. Stakeholders yep. now in every decision. Let's assume that that's true, right? Which yep, there's no reason to doubt it the number, in the Air sure. enterprise, right? So, um, gosh, you know, there's lots of personalities. That's one of the big, you know, themes of the the challenger customer book is that you know just the diversity that's right. of individuals within that that uh, stakeholder group. You know, like. That comprise it. Like, I'll, I'll,
1: I'll tell you something, Andy. Uh, you know, um, I, I was listening recently, actually, to, to your podcast from I don't know, maybe a year and a half a year ago, with uh, Richard Ruff on yes. account-based selling. Yeah, uh, and he said something that's that's you know, obviously, account-based selling is kind of very in, very very demo right now. Well. Um, and it, but as <laughs> as you've said, right? It, you know, what's old is new again. Right. right? I mean, it, right. You know, not right, but certainly the new language. Um, and Richard is something that I thought was very astute um, and right, which is that you know, a key thing about a company's selling is that it is it's resistant to kind of traditional standardization. It really is saying every account is its own strategy mm-hmm. and it's, right, its own approach. Right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, look, there's a long history. You know, strategic selling spin selling. Right? Challenger sale. Right? Like the idea of profound insight into your customer is not a new one. No. Um, but. Uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me, watching the kind of new account-based selling stack emerged. Is that it seems actually, for the most part, very focused still on mechanization, on operationalization, on actually trying to standardize something that I don't think can be standardized. is uh, actually really, I think, is trying to come from a, a little bit of a different school of thought there, which says embrace the variability, embrace the situational, situational thinking that every account provides, use good frameworks and structures to make sure that the, value, the information is being provided. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, uh, you know, we, I think especially we technologists right we people who are creating sales technology come from such a place of sales automation right of sales uh, operationalization of sales mechanization um and i think it's really a missing piece uh when you think about uh when you think about especially larger account sales or you know kind of complex oh, account selling to I, be to sale, be actually. right yeah to be saying it's not just about the machine it's about it's about the variability it is about the art as much as the science
0: yeah it's interesting you brought that up cuz I just right before this interview had, had been asked by a company was putting together a, a uh, an article. You know, what are the big trends going to be in 2017? And I I said that my prediction is it's, it's the return to focus on the importance of the human element in selling.
1: Yeah, and I think... and
0: that we've yeah you know, we've gone I don't say we've gone too far, but people that think that it's all about the science of selling now versus the art really forget the importance of the human aspect of it. And really what it is is the science of selling is is supporting the the art of selling. Uh, But you still need that person-to-person connection. You still need the insights. You still need that human element. The uniquely human element of selling is so important.
1: Too, too too much. I think of, of sales technology focuses on the question of how many emails you're sending, uh, and who you're sending them to. Right? It's yeah. uh, and and I and I get it. You know, coming from a you know a technological background, from a data background, from a Google background, those are easy. Those are easier problems to think about automating. Um, but. Ultimately, you know, I think we're focusing on three percent of the problem because it's the most automatable three percent. Um, and I think I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, I don't know if you saw last year, Forrester did this death of a B two B salesman oh, yeah, study, yeah. right, which said the only area where there's going to be employment growth yeah, is you, going to be in the complex sale and the challenger sale.
0: Yeah, but you can probably still hear my hear my eyes rolling when I yeah. saw that report. So that's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's,
1: uh, there's, there's a forester report for whatever
0: uh, for whatever point you're trying whatever purpose, yeah. purpose there's there's one out there so Absolutely. yeah I don't I don't I don't buy into their statistics for the reason that they're saying either but but um, yeah I, I, <laughs> I think your point about you know people want to put things sales people want to in sales automation is, is really about saying what customers fit into niches mm-hmm. and you know if we treat the niche, somewhat the same every time, just mm-hmm. from a percentage standpoint, we're going to win a certain percentage of the time. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, those win rates are really low. Yes, as, as low, lower, much lower than they should be. So, yep, I have right. a a thing that I talk about in my presentations about sort of just basic sales habits and behaviors you should you should have. And one of them is you have to learn how to listen without judgment. Mm-hmm. Because this is a really hugely important sales skill, and the exact words I got from a another author who wrote a book called "The Coaching Habit." Michael Stanier. yeah, but sure. um, it's a fabulous book. And but the same about, idea about listening without judgment is so important. And because every situation is unique, and if you don't acknowledge the variability and you know, the potential for variability, you're going to miss opportunities. What opportunities you're going to miss? You're going to miss the opportunity to provide insight that's going to help you win the business. Because right. because you've got your biases up, yeah. You know, my wife, as you know, dear, she teaches uh, medical school and is dean at New York School, NYU School of Medicine, and yep. and um, there's a class they teach there on how to to aspiring doctors. Called, I forget the name of the class, but it, I think called the Practice of Medicine or something like that. But in one lecture, I remember. Uh, my wife's daughter was in med school at the time, comes back and and says, look, you know, this interesting class is, they're teaching us how when we first talk to people, patients in the examining room, is we have this like, I forget the numbers, like 22 filters and biases inherent in the way we approach these people. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, based on age, gender, ethnicity, you know, where they live, you know, perception of income, all these things. And you have to wade through the filters in order to arrive at an appropriate and accurate diagnosis. That's right. Yeah, and the same thing is true in sales. That's
1: right. You
0: know, if everybody's in a niche, we put our filters up and we're completely missing the opportunity.
1: I think uh, really great sales processes and really great sales tools and methodologies and technologies, what they do is they create. they should be creating the space. For this. They're right. they, Again, this goes back to the idea I said before around how emissaries are meant to empower, not replace sellers. Right? You know, great methodologies are about creating the space for thinking. They're not trying to remove it from the process, not trying to remove it from the cycle.
0: Oh yeah, well, that's the same reason, you know, I think there's incredible value in so many of the technologies, sales technologies with the data they generate. Because if I had that data mm-hmm. <laughs> back when I was a bag carrying salesperson, oh, I would have killed. Yeah, I'm mean, killed right. anyway, but I really <laughs> killed. I mean, that's
1: right. well, and I think this was also to some degree some of the promise with social selling. Um, although I think, frankly, it hasn't quite achieved what it could achieve on that front, and I think it's because, again, it it kind of turned into mechanization rather than. You know, rather than insight, right? There's too much of okay. Well, now I just have to hit this many touches on LinkedIn, and you know, like I have to update my profile this way. Um, and I think the real, the real insight behind social selling is sales is was will always be about people, uh, and we have this incredible new channel to get insight about people.
0: Well, I think, yeah, I agree, and and but I, I was thinking about another point I wanted to make about emissary that before I forgot, <laughs> which was, and this is really key, I think, for managers listening, for you know, owners of companies, CEOs listening, is one of the things that's discussion points as we become more and more uh, prevalent throughout sales in the next year or two is about what really is sales productivity. And the term is used so loosely that it has no value at all. And it's really confused, to your point you made earlier, it's confused with activity. And so, mm-hmm. uh, when you think about productivity, and the way I think about sales productivity is, and the is, I think there needs to be like an industry standard measure of productivity, and which is revenue dollars per hour of selling time.
1: Oh, that's good. Yeah.
0: Okay, and everybody could agree that would be productivity because that's how economists measure productivity, right?
1: Right. That's right. So
0: your rate of output of divided by unit of input. So. Yep. So, if you think about it from the standpoint of using an emissary, if the emissary can help reduce the number of selling hours your people, your team has to invest in order to bring a buyer from initial point of contact to an order, that's actually increasing your productivity because there are now more available selling hours to sell to other buyers and to generate more revenue. So to me that is really one of the key points about emissaries. People think, well, what's the payback Yeah, it's just not just as you're winning deals that you're going to. Oh, if you're using them appropriately, you should be winning deals with less investment of your resources, which is is the ultimate boost to productivity and sales.
1: Yep, one of the core insights of Amistar has always been what would take me ten minutes to share about Google would take someone else ten hours to figure out.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right, and if we can, you can, if you can, if you can, you know, just shorten that line, right? If you can just, uh, you know, cut that knot um, to your point that that's massively valuable. Um, you know, this does accelerate deals, you know, I think does increase win rate does make time to close faster. Um, but the, the efficiency, the leverage of efficiency is just, is just astonishing. Uh, yeah. we've seen, we've seen some really amazing results so far with some of our clients where, you know, to your point, um, you know, we've seen clients who are using emissaries to disqualify deals mm-hmm. to get them out of pipeline. Yep. Um, you know, to your point, Andy. Before to your story, before, we've had clients who were prepared to gear up for a massive uh, effort, and the emissary said, "I guarantee you. I guarantee you, they are using you as a stocking horse. You, uh, you know, you are you are not going to win this deal." Uh, and you know they listen to the emissary and look, they, uh, they, they put their time into higher yield things to your point, right? How can you be most efficiently using the time of the salespeople that you're employing is, is by far the most important thing.
0: Yeah, and, and not to put too fine of a point on it, but you know, at the end of the day, I don't really care how long a sales cycle is. I care about how many hours I have to spend to do it because you know, a sales cycle that's just a duration. Mm-hmm. Right, that has that has no correlation to the number of hours I'm in most cases the number of hours I'm investing, because right. that that's a buyer measurement. That's not me. Yep. So you know if you're a manager and you're saying, well, how do I how do I decrease the number of hours I have to invest in any one deal to generate revenue so I can generate you know same or higher revenue with those hours elsewhere? Mm-hmm. Then a tool like Emissary becomes to me it becomes very critical and seems like a pretty easy payback if you have a decent win rate.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. You know, I think the thing we like to stress is, you know, one of the things that we do like to stress is we. So when we work with clients, we do work across a pipeline, right? Uh, You know, ultimately, sales continues to be a complex thing, right? Emissaries can provide valuable context, Um, but to your point, it's something that where the aggregate value is really where where it yields. We won't help out. We won't work with clients on just one shot deals uh, because there's so many different components to a to a sale. We want to really make sure we're ultimately being able to demonstrate value across the entire pipeline. But when we're able to really work across a pipeline, it really it's really pretty astonishing what happens.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Uh, so now, David, we, last segment of the show, I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And uh, first one is hypothetical scenario. And it, I know that you hadn't necessarily been in sales prior to being a CEO, but you're a CEO, you're in sales now, so you can answer mm-hmm. the question. Sure. Is in this hypothetical scenario, you've just been hired as VP of sales by a company whose sales of hit a rough patch, stalled out, flatlined, whatever. And CEO and the board are anxious to get things back on track, hit the reset button. So what two things could you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? Oh, yeah. It's
1: a good question. Um One of the things I would definitely do is, I would, one of the things I would immediately do is, I try to get on the phone with five to 10 people uh, who, uh, from deals that we recently lost,
0: right? Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And for me, try and get, You know, it's so easy inside of an organization to develop your own narrative, your own truth about what's going on, Um, and you know you can interview people, and everyone's going to say, "Oh, the product sucks" or "marketing sucks," and you know it's always easy to kind of keep pointing figures and keep running around. Uh, And so, the ability to get kind of unvarnished, uh, authentic feedback from people who you sold to, and say, "Hey, you know what? The the, uh, you know you guys." You know, your seller was 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 the problem, right? It Really was, you know, like didn't didn't pay attention. Or, you know what, like we really we had made a decision by the time you came in. Um so the first thing I would really try to do is get my own ground truth. Um and you know, obviously you're gonna talk to the reps, obviously you're gonna talk to the organization, but being able to talk to people who actually you just sold to and it could be just like calling them up and saying, Hey, can you give me some honest feedback? Or trying to figure out how to do it. But to me, that would be priority number one Mm -hmm. uh, is is generating my own ground truth. Uh, You know, I think the other thing is, again, is a culture thing, really, is, um, you know, you want to, I think, really come in and uh, in the first week or two, one of my big things is really being sure that you can kind of establish a moment of excellence, right? I'm a big believer that, you know, we all look to our peers to determine what excellence looks like Mm -hmm. uh, and being able to kind of establish with your organization. Uh, that there that there is a capacity for excellence uh, and what it looks like is, I think, a great way to motivate people uh, if you have the right people. And if people aren't responding to watching their peers being excellent, they're not the kind of people you want inside the organization. And so I think figuring out how you can kind of get a couple outsized moments and maybe trying to do something that is kind of a wow moment in the first week or two mm-hmm. is both a way to both establish authority and also a way to kind of reset a culture that can often have been toxic.
0: Okay. Great answer. Like it. All right, so now we've got some rapid-fire questions. Some you can make one-word answers, or give me more than one word if you wish. So, you know, you've been out. You just closed a big uh, Series A financing for your company, so you've been out selling quite a bit recently. So, when you, David, are out selling, what's your most powerful sales attribute?
1: Um, so, I think the most powerful sales attribute of Emissary is simplicity. It's one word, right? What we do is so clear. And straightforward. Um, and I do think as a seller as well, that's 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 my kind of strength, is the ability to kind of uh, speak in a fairly straightforward, unvarnished, unfiltered way, and to be able to kind of speak authentically. Okay. Um, and I think uh, we've all become so inundated with noise that the ability to speak with clarity is just crucial.
0: Okay. So who's your sales role model?
1: Um not a salesperson, an entrepreneur. Okay. Um, a guy by the name of Nat Turner. Uh, was co-founder of a company called Flatiron Health. Before that, was co-founder of a company called Invite Media, which uh, my team acquired at Google. Um, and Nat, you know, just something you said before, Andy. Nat listens better than anybody I've ever met. He's an unbelievable ear. He never forgets a thing you say, um, and he does it in a way that's very uh, unassuming.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and really, uh, you know, Nat's a few years younger than me. Uh, you know, Nate, when we hired when we uh, hired him at Google uh, when we acquired his company, uh, I remember, you know, for the first time, feeling like kind of someone more junior than me was running circles around me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and I mean, you know, his he's continued to just prove his absolute excellence. I mean, Flatiron's worth a billion dollars, and uh, I think really his ability to just observe and listen um, makes him an amazing seller. And that was uh, that was an important lesson for me.
0: Okay, great. So one, what's one book you think every salesperson should read?
1: Yeah, so I've listened to a few of these podcasts, and I think you know you hear a lot of great recommendations that are sales books, right? You know, whether it's you know Mike Weinberg or you know mm-hmm. challenger, sales, challenger Customer, there's a lot of great sales books out there. I figured I'd recommend one that's not from the sales world. Perfect. Uh, a book called The Righteous Mind um, that came out about five years ago by a professor named Jonathan Haidt. Um, the Righteous Mind is it's a book about politics, I guess, appropriate for the election season, um, and it's a book about why the American left and right can't seem to talk past talk talk with each other. And Jonathan talks about this idea that we all have fundamental moral intuitions. And most of our decisions in life come from the fact that we make a more intuitive moral judgment, and then we look for facts to support it. Yes. Um, and he, what he kind of talks about is the idea that the American left and American right have – he kind of uses a – creates a framework for describing their moral intuitions. And then talks about kind of how if you want to talk to somebody – from the other side, the best way to do that is to understand their moral intuitions and to frame your arguments in terms of their moral intuitions. And I think this notion is so critical for selling, right? This notion of empathy, this notion of being able to understand people's intuitions and understand how to frame things in the right way uh, is absolutely critical. And and his work, this book is one of the one of the books I think of when I think of books that really changed my mind, um, and I, I can't recommend it highly enough.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I love the sound. Of it. I mean, because yeah, I've been doing a lot of talking and reading and writing recently about. You know, emotion-driven decision making, which mm-hmm. yeah, you know, in essence, is what he's sort of talking about. That's right. I mean, it's it's not the logical, the moral. I don't think is logical at all. That's right. Um, so yeah, and decision-making science. You know, people have seen that fundamentally, almost every decision in life, not just the big ones, but what to wear, or what to eat, everything's driven by emotions, and we backfill the rationalizations to justify it.
1: Well, you know, a lot of the you know, obviously, behavioral economics has been very. And popular for the past five years, and a lot of talk about you know, Daniel Kahneman and people like that. And I'm a huge fan of that work as well. What I like about his work is that it's grounded in a different area and comes really from this uh, moral uh, perspective, which I thought was very enlightening. Yeah, so I, sure. I really recommend it. It's a quick read. He's a very good writer. Uh, definitely a great book.
0: All right, going on my list. All right, last question for you. What music's on your playlist these days?
1: Let's see. Um, I'm listening to you know. I kind of mix between. I feel like serene and the very loud. So sometimes it's someone like Bonnie Vare, You mm-hmm. know, who has got right. Mellow. Uh, and then and then sometimes it's uh, a, a metal band called Mastodon. So it's been a it's been a very strange mix, but it's been a lot of fun.
0: Mastodon. Okay, I'm not familiar yeah. with them.
1: Yeah, they're uh, they're 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 really fun. They're kind of crazy.
0: <laughs> Are they a New York band?
1: Uh, no, I think they're from Atlanta, I want to say, actually. Uh, I could be wrong, though. All right. Well, cool. Uh, yeah, they've been around for
0: a while. All right. Mastodon's yeah. on my list. haven't heard yeah. that one. One of the benefits of doing this show is I... great music recommendations, great book recommendations. So, um, so, David, thanks for being on the show.
1: Uh, Andy, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: And tell folks how they can find out more about Emissary.
1: Yeah, www.emissary.io. Um, and now yeah, we're looking forward to it.
0: And if they want to connect with you,
1: uh, my email is just Um So feel free to email me directly.
0: All right. Perfect. Well, again, David, thanks very much for being on the show. And friends, thank you for taking time out of your day to join me. And, and uh, remember, make a part of your daily routine every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And an easy way to do that, take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, Accelerate. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, David Hammer, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me, and until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.